It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the multiplexes and at the art house. Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. You'll also hear about new and old films on Blu-ray and on DVD. Plus, you'll hear all the latest Hollywood gossip. I don't care! Okay, maybe not the latter, but it is time for film sociology with WFYI's film guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sosi. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever, yes. Let's see how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. Lovers, welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD2 The Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msoce, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which someday will be updated at filmsociology.tumblr.com. Just you and me today. We're going to dip it in the archives for the second half of the show uh, to celebrate the release of the film The Bye-Bye Man. Well, you'll hear my review in a minute. Um, Doug Jones, of course, uh, who's one of the actors in it. He plays the title role and is, a, is full disclosure, a buddy of mine and a Ball State grad. But uh, we're going to play one of the uh, interviews I did with him a few, uh, many moons ago, a few moons ago. But uh, we'll hear that on the second half of the show. It was also my first Skype interview, so that's, yeah, dating it. Anyway. Uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, yes, uh, The Bye-Bye Man, it's a January PG-13 horror film. The type of film where if somebody gets shot with a rifle, no blood is is shed whatsoever. They want to keep the PG-13 rating. Um, story about three friends who buy, or actually rent an old, uh, old house for off campus. Two guys, a girl, no pizza place. And uh, we find out it's the origins of The Bye-Bye Man. It's one of those films that if you say his name out loud or you think it, then he shows up. So there you go for you Candyman fans out there. So part of it is that, and then uh, one of his powers, I guess, of evil is to play with your mind and what, and, and start messing with you on what is fantasy and what is not. So uh, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the film that came out earlier in uh, 2016 called Lights Out, uh, which I think tried to balance two two storylines. The um, is the house you know the haunted house story, the ghost story, or is it in his head or not? You know, is it live or is it Memorex? And and the Bye Bye Man does a little bit of that as well. I kind of wish they'd stuck with one and and uh, dismissed the other. Um, I think he could have gone either way. There tries to be a little bit of a love triangle for uh, for the lead, or the main guy with his girlfriend, the, the actress played by Douglas Smith. Um, the character played by Douglas Smith. Um, he uh, he gets a big big bolt of jealousy, uh, almost of a uh, of a Iago-esque, or uh, Othello-esque uh, nature, 
um, but it doesn't quite pay off. Doug Jones, yes, I, I'm going to say he, he's the best part about it. Uh, if you if you don't know his face, you've seen his work. He's in all of Guillermo del Toro's films. He, play, of course, played the Silver Surfer, among other things. Uh, very creepy presence on him. Uh, with him, and uh, yes, coming off the bench to add a little bit of credibility, Carrie Ann Moss plays a police detective, and Faye Dunaway plays a widow with a past involving this house. Um, overall, it's okay. There's a lot of jump scares, and they didn't scare me, so that kind of fails on that point. Anyway, it's out there. It's a PG-13 horror movie in January. You have been warned. Also opening in theaters in Indianapolis this weekend, finally the latest film from director Paul Verhoeven. He's directing, he's not writing this one, and it's uh, it got a couple of Golden Globe Awards, and uh, hopefully we'll get some Oscar recognition. It's a film called Elle, and it stars uh, Isabelle Huppert, who won Best Actress at the Golden Globes this year. Elle won Best Foreign Film. Uh, a businesswoman who... Uh, the very opening scene, ladies and gentlemen, she's she's raped. And throughout the film, we she's trying to find out who did it. And as the film goes along, we find out that she has earned a lot of enemies in at, and a lot of potential suspects, not just at work, because she's a businesswoman, uh, a video game uh, CEO, but also around her neighborhood with some of the neighbors. So we see affairs happening uh, that did and didn't happen. Um, we also see her background as a mom and, uh, and in some cases, in one case, a grandmother. We also find out that her father is a famous piece, is a part of a footnote in uh, French crime history. Um, because it's Paul Verhoeven, it does have a bit of an exploitive, uh, titillating nature. Not much, not to the degree of something like Showgirls or Basic Instinct. Um, it, this isn't a film for everybody, and I think because it's it's a little more rooted. Hooper um, gives a really fine performance. It is. It would have been easy for her to go over the top on this. Hi, Elizabeth Berkley and Showgirls. Uh, but with all of the exploitive nature, and then you have a rooted performance, a, a downplayed performance, really, from Hooper. She's the best reason to see the film. Uh, again, not a date film, but and I'm not the biggest Verhoeven fan. I was not a big fan of his films, even when he came to the States. Yeah, I even found Showgirls, Basic Instinct, and, and Robocop a little overrated. Need to revisit Ro- RoboCop and Total Recall because I think there were, those were a couple films. There, there was satire, and I think a lot of the mall crowd kind of missed it. And I might have been one of them, but I'm not going to admit that. Anyway, uh, but yeah, L is definitely worth checking out if you get to see that. And it's in theaters right now. Uh, also opening this weekend, we have Patriots Day, the Mark Wahlberg uh, docudrama um, based on the uh, Boston bombing, the Boston Marathon bombing, um, feels a little bit, from what I was told, feels a little bit like Deepwater Horizon, which is now out on video this week. So uh, Mark Wahlberg's doing the docudrama uh, land uh, twice in a row. Also opening in theaters, Monster Trucks, if you're in that sort of thing. And those those are the films that are opening uh, this weekend. A uh, couple of titles of note on DVD and Blu-ray, as I mentioned, Deepwater Horizon. Good timing on uh, Mr. Wahlberg's part. You can see him uh, helping out in Boston as well as working on an oil rig, both based on true stories. Um, Deepwater Horizon feels like an Irwin Allen film, but better. Uh, less Less characters. 
So if you if you remember films like The Towering Inferno and and The Poseidon Adventure, which had a cavalcade of stars doing very very little, and uh, they had so many stars, but and everybody had to have at least five or ten minutes of screen time. There is not that problem in this film. Uh, also, as a bonus, you get John Malkovich and his really funny Cajun accent. So uh, it it is of a level of him as Teddy KGB and Rounders. Go rent that. Uh, also out on Blu-ray this week, we have The Accountant. The Ben Affleck is a hitman who's got uh, behavioral issues. Um, it, it's more of an intellectual puzzle than a born film, no matter what the trailers tell you. And also out on Blu-ray for the new titles, The Birth of a Nation, or as my buddy Ed Johnsonot called it, Braveheart if you're not a racist. Uh, first half is a kind of very disturbing uh, plantation drama. Second half becomes films we've seen before, whether it is Braveheart or Gladiator or those types. Uh, another old title of note on Blu-ray that you should check out, on, and it's on Criterion, one of the funniest films ever made, His Girl Friday. S- go for the story, stick around for Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell and the speed that they go at when it comes to that great dialogue. All right. I want to mention the Golden Globe Awards. I know that happened last week, but yes, uh, a lot of the. Don't be surprised if you see pretty much everyone who won in the acting categories as well as the films are probably going to get Academy Award nominations. Usually, I always, I always joke. You know, people say that the Golden Globes are a gateway to the Oscars, unless you're Jim Carrey. Uh, Winning Best Drama for uh, Motion Picture, of course, Moonlight. Uh, Best Actor in the Drama, Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea. Uh, Best Musical or Comedy Film, La La Land. Uh, Best Song, City of Stars. Full disclosure, my daughter Emma is learning that on the piano. Best Director, Damien Chazelle for La La Land. Best Actress in a Drama, Isabelle Huppert for Elle. Best Supporting Actress in a Drama, or in a Motion Picture, Viola Davis for Fences. Uh, Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture, Aaron Taylor Johnson for Nocturnal Animals. He is creepy as hell in that. Uh, Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy, Emma Stone for La La Land. Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy, Ryan Gosling for La La Land. Uh, Best Foreign Film, Elle. Best Screenplay and Original Song, um... It goes to La La, or original score, I should say, La La Land for both of those. Best animated feature film, Zootopia. So congrats to everybody on that. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, um, I don't know. I've heard, I I guess I've had to defend La La Land a little bit for folks. Um, It is getting a wider release, and I'm really happy about that. Um, But I love the fact that one, you get to see Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone dancing. There are no extreme. There are no body doubles. There are no extreme close-ups, like in a chorus line or Annie. Um, so you actually get to see them sing or dance. Are they the best singers and dancers? No, but that humanizes it. That brings it a little more of a connection for me, the 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 viewer. Um, it, it's reminiscent in that aspect of. Woody Allen's musical Everyone Says I Love You, Kenneth Branagh's musical version of Love's Labor's Lost, and yes, even Mamma Mia, even though I think it's a it's a silly story, and it takes a while for it to embrace its silliness, and the guys sound not, you know, not even close to the women, you know, Sky Point Pierce Brosnan. Uh, but anyway, that, that human aspect of it really, uh, really resonated with me. Um, that connection and and then the old musical storyline, which uh, owes a little bit to New York, New York, A Star is Born and Umbrellas of Cherbourg. So anyway, I, I enjoy it. It's 
it's out. Like I said, it's out, it's got a wider release now. Get this if you get to see this on a big screen, it'll be even better. So anyway, go go check that out. All right, um, you know we're gonna take a short break, and then when we come back, I'll talk about what's at IU Cinema, and then we'll play my chat with Doug Jones. He stars in The Bye Bye Man, which opened this weekend. And uh, definitely worth if, if you're a Doug Jones fan, you'll see it. Um, it. It wasn't my favorite film this week, this month. Uh, but anyway, you'll hear my chat with Doug Jones, which I did a few years ago in a little bit. So stick around. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. <laughs> on WFYI. Welcome back to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msoce, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter at Matthew Sosi. All right, uh, before we get to my interview with Doug Jones, who stars in The Bye Bye Man, which opened in theaters nationwide this weekend, I uh, want to talk about uh, what's happening at IU Cinema. And again, ladies and gentlemen, this all depends on when you're listening to the show, because it's on three times in three days. Um, heading at IU Cinema, Saturday, January 14th at 3 p.m. is a part of the Cinekids series, the animation fantasy film from 2015, Phantom Boy. And then at 7 o'clock on Saturday the 14th as a part of Scorsese's Men of Faith, his 1989 drama Kundun. And I forgot to mention his film Silence is finally in Indianapolis theaters this weekend. So uh, hopefully uh, you'll get a review of that on next week's show. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, January 15th at 3 o'clock is a part of the International Art House series Fire at Sea. And then at 6.30 p.m. is a part of the National Theater Live, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart in No Man's Land. On Thursday, January 19th is a part of the International Art House series at 7 o'clock. The documentary from last year, Harry Benson, Shoot First. And then Friday, January 20th at 6.30 p.m., the Underground Film Series and the International Art House Series, Tony Conrad, Completely in the Present, followed by, at 9.30, Harry Benson Shoot First. Sunday, January 21st, as a part of the Cinekids and the International Art House Series at 3 o'clock, The Eagle Huntress. Um, that's at 3 o'clock. And then at 7 o'clock, 
the Staff Select series from 1994, the alcoholism drama with Meg Ryan and Andy Garcia, When a Man Loves a Woman. That's Saturday, July, January 21st at 7 o'clock. And then Sunday, the 22nd, you have the Eagle Huntress at 3 p.m. and Harry Benson Shoot First at 6.30 p.m. And then mark your calendars Thursday, January 26th and Friday, January 27th at 7 o'clock, Reservoir Dogs. And then Saturday, January 28th at 3 o'clock, The Philadelphia Story. And then at 7 o'clock on the 28th, the 2017 Iris Film Festival. That is happening all at IU Cinema. Happening at the Artcraft Theater in Franklin, again, depending on when you listen to this show, on Saturday at 2 o'clock and 7.30 p.m., John Hughes' film, 16 Candles. Um, I, I was talking with uh, with another radio folk person earlier th- this weekend, and uh, I, I, I find the John Hughes films a little overrated, and I know I was a target audience. I was a teenager in the 80s, but... Um, the problem for me is, and it's my it's my burden, that the films based on Essie Hinton novels, The Outsiders, Rumblefish, and Tex, resonated more to me than Mr. Hughes's suburban fairy tales. That being said, I think Sixteen Candles is probably his best film. Um, it is a it is a high school fairy tale with Molly Ringwald and of course Anthony, young Anthony Michael Hall. And uh, and a little bit of a screwball comedy between the man she really wants and then the man that she probably has a better shot at but doesn't want anything to do with. Um, anyway, that's happening at the Artcraft Theater. Mark your calendars January 20th and 21st at the Artcraft Theater in Franklin. You have Muppet Treasure Island, the Muppets and Tim Curry. Friday the 10th and Saturday, Friday the 11th, I say Saturday the, Friday, anyway, February 10th and 11th, sorry. The African Queen, definitely worth checking on the big screen. February 24th and 25th, The Princess Bride. March 3rd is the Heartland Film Series Best of the Fest. And then March 10th and 11th, Vertigo. And March 17th and 18th, Clue. March 24th and 25th, The Philadelphia Story. And then there'll be a Tim Burton Film Festival in April. So anyway, all of that is happening at the Historic Artcraft Theater in Franklin, Indiana. All right. Uh, as I said before, Doug Jones is a uh, Ball State graduate, uh, stars in the film The Bye Bye Man, which opens in theaters this weekend. Here we go into the archives. I believe I did this interview in 2014. It was my first Skype interview. He was on location in Paris. Here is my classic interview with Doug Jones. Enjoy. So just so everybody knows, on the record, I'm I'm talking to Doug in Paris. Well, Doug's in Paris. I'm here in Indianapolis. What are you working on over there, my friend? Hey, well, I am here in Paris, France, working on a movie called Serge Gainsbourg Vie Heroique, which means a life heroic. Um, it is a biography on the life of uh, singer songwriter icon in the French culture, uh, Serge Gainsbourg, and I. I'm playing a, a fantasy element in the film. I'm like an alter ego sort of uh, uh, fantasy character that it's, that only exists uh, for him. Uh, he he sees me, hears me, talks to me, and no one else can. So this is riding the La Vie en Rose uh, success wagon. I'm <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> well, actually, you know, the French have been making movies for a long time, though. I hear. No, <laughs> really, about musicians. Yeah. Get out. They might, they might have even started it. I'm not sure. Wow. I have to work on mm-hmm. that. <laughs> I know, right? But it's being, uh, it's, 
the the fun thing about this one uh, is that my I'm wearing a you know a big makeup again that makes me look like someone that I'm not, and uh, it's being applied by it was created by the um, DDT Effectos Especiales. That's the team that that uh, brought you the Fawn from Pan's Labyrinth, uh-huh. and also the Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth. So I've worked with them before. It's got to be nice to have a rapport with with a group like that. It must be easier as far as application and and re- working relations. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like getting together with old friends. I I love them dearly, and I trust them. Anyway, and you know what? When you're in a makeup chair for five hours at a time, um, the people who are you've entrusted to, uh, yourself to their hands, um, it's important that you, that you do trust them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we do get along really well, and and um, they're kind of like nurse. It's like I, I become a nursing home patient because I can't see or hear for myself. <laughs> I can feel very little. And so these people are, are more than just makeup artists. They're also uh, caregivers, you know. What do you do in the five hours? Because most I've ever had to sit in the makeup chair was 45 minutes, and I thought I was going to rip my my hair out. Yeah, I know. Well, I get asked this a lot, but and I, I'm not even sure. I, I think I'm really good at zoning out. I do fall asleep a lot. I, uh, you know, if, if there's a headrest, I'm, I'm, you know, we're all screwed. I, I'm, but... Um, uh, We'll listen to music. We might even pop open a laptop and watch silly things on YouTube, uh, talk and tell stories, of course. You know, I don't know. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm looking at here. You're a bishop grad. Bishop Chittard High School, yes. And in Ball State. Back in 1978. <laughs> it's not, that's not a curse word. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> now, um... You studied theater at Ball State as well as telecommunications. Now, I have to ask, because this is a Wikipedia uh, thing. I had a mime and contortionist. Oh, does Wikipedia <laughs> have that all listed? Yes, really? it, yes, it does. Yes, it does. I well, say you know, They are the encyclopedia. And you would have been very popular at Ball State if you had both of those in your system. <laughs> I was doing all that at Ball State, and yes, I was popular. <laughs> no, I um, um Yes, no, I... I can put both my legs behind my head, and it's actually come in very handy over the years, With especially when I was doing a lot of TV commercials at the beginning of my career. Um, if they needed some kind of a sight gag or something, we, we need something physical, something funny. And in an audition, if I threw my leg over my head, it's like, well, that's it, cast him. <laughs> so that was kind of an easy, that was my, my, my but I'm a one-trick pony when it comes to contorting. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a, a circus act. Or You're not, not in the sideshow. Side no. Right, no, no. Oh, okay, the the mime thing started at Ball State University. Um, I joined my freshman year there. I joined a mime troupe called Mime Over Matter. Oh, you get it? Dun, 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 dun. Whap! <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, but that actually was a very useful uh, art form for me, as it turns out. I've always kind of been a, a talker with my hands as well as my mouth, <laughs> and uh, and uh, learning the art of mime, it it really kind of woke up the storytelling senses that, that, that happen from the neck down you know body language tells so much the story and gesturing and all that so when you're using an art form that doesn't use dialogue verbal dialogue at all you have to rely on all the physical dialogue so that's kind of what um was a great background for me to you know get into the kind of acting that i that i that i'm known for now which is more of the creature effects costume fantasy characters you're, yeah you're the fantasy that guy are you pointing right now? That yeah, guy. Yeah, he is that guy. guy. Yeah, I did. Oh, I pointed guy. when I told people I was talking to you. At Ball State, any theater that I did was um, either with the mind troupe, which was all physical, um, and, I, oh, and I, I didn't do any plays that were the, the standard, you know, check off or, you know, whatever, uh, 
Shakespeare. I, no, that that wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Standing and emoting, doing monologues wasn't my wasn't what I was. I never did it but, back but, then. But Lear needed to throw his he- legs back behind his head, couldn't he? <laughs> As any good king would do, sure. <laughs> so after Ball State, where'd you where'd you go next? Well, um, I went up to North Manchester, Indiana, and well, you no, know, no, I'm lying to you. First stop was Kings Island in Cincinnati, Ohio, as a mime. I worked on the on the streets there uh, of the theme park around the Eiffel Tower. Now, talk about coming full circle. Now I'm sitting here at a hotel where I can look out and see the Eiffel Tower, the real one. It, of course. Here in Paris, yeah. So, and the Eiffel Tower in Cincinnati, though, at Kings Island, is about a third of the of the scale of this one. So, it's, the seeing the real one is quite different. Indeed. <laughs> and after after that summer of 1982, uh, it was up to North Manchester, Indiana, to work at a newspaper there as an advertising salesman. And I thought that I was going to slip my wrist because I was, you know, wearing a tie and and, and being responsible is just not my thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, then after that, um, off to California to work at a bank as a management trainee. Uh, that was basically the excuse to get us out to California. Right. You know. By that time, I was married to the, the lovely Mrs. Lori, Hello. also a Ball State graduate Woo-hoo. in 1984, and we just uh, we moved out out to California in, in 85. And and how did you lead up to the newly deads? Yeah, <laughs> research. Oh my god! <laughs> well, thank you for bringing up the most embarrassing credit on my entire IMDb list. That's the one. <laughs> That, no, that, I think that is the by far. That was one of those straight to VHS uh, releases, you know. I think it was '86 or '7, yeah. But it's not going to make um, the transfer of the DVD. Oh heck no! <laughs> <laughs> they made the whole movie for a dollar seventy-five. No, it was it was shot on sixteen millimeter film. Oh, it's just so cheesy, horribly written, horribly acted by all of us. I'm going to include myself. <laughs> And uh, but if you if you really like if you like low budget hideous horror movies, um, that's the one to see. Maybe maybe it'll be a mystery science theater someday. Well, no, not anymore. Oh no, yeah, you know it, it's great fun to watch the, to pop in the newly dead with a bunch of of, of uh, sarcastic funny people sitting watching it because <laughs> the dialogue of the film doesn't even matter. It, you know. <laughs> but but isn't it true? Tim Burton saw it and said brilliant, and then, and then he casted you later on. Yeah, that's how it went. <laughs> <laughs> no, you big silly. No, I met Tim Burton on Batman Returns. Actually, uh, I was called in through the stunt office because of the contortion thing. Mm-hmm. Because I put my legs behind my head. One of the people on their uh, stunt team uh, knew of me and, and gave me a call just to come, and they could put me on videotape to, to you know put my legs on because there was a circus theme to Batman Returns. Uh, right, you know, the Penguin hung out with the Red Triangle Circus gang. And, so while I was there, um, the stunt coordinator like uh, saw what I did, and he, he said, "Hang on a second. He went to the next uh, next room and brought Tim Burton back in with him, and said, "Do what you just did for me uh, for Tim. This is Tim Burton, the director." I'm like, ah, "Hi, Tim." <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, that was uh, that was a, a wonderful break for me, uh, one of many breaks over the years. And uh, I say, what's what's the percentage of of acting jobs where you have and have not had to have lots and lots of makeup? I'm probably, I don't know, it's really, it's like about two-thirds of my work has been under heavy makeup, and about a, a full third of it is with my own face. Mm-hmm. And this past year especially, um, I've aside from the movie I'm working on right now, uh, the, the full year before this was all my own face. Um, I did a guest-starring gig on uh, Criminal Minds. It aired just uh, in December before I came 
here. I, I did a, an episode of Fear Itself on NBC. It's a great horror show at night, uh, um, like an, an, a one-hour anthology kind of show where every every episode was like a Twilight Zone, a whole new story, whole new cast, all that. Right. And then other lots of other films in the meantime, one of which was filmed right there in Indiana at, at the Ball State campus and the surrounding area in Muncie, Indiana, um, called My Name is Jerry. I played the title character of Jerry, a 40-something-year-old white guy going through his midlife crisis. Wow, that, which I could relate to, by the way, Matt. That's a stretch, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pushing fifty now, so yes, no, I can relate. That's a whole other stress. Well, not only do you—I was asking about the percentage, but also you get to actually act with other people for a change. Or do you? I mean, does a lot of green and blue screen work for you? Oh no, no. I've I've always acted with other people on on screen. I've never done motion capture, uh, which is what you might be thinking of. Okay. You're wearing like a, like a really green-colored leotard with dots all over it, and, they, and just all for the computer animators to have some movement. Fun at parties. <laughs> yeah. The leotard with dots on it, that yep. is fun. <laughs> Especially when people have markers and they're connecting the dots, right? <laughs> Touche. But, uh, but I've, never, I've never done uh, that. I've always, I've always worn makeups, and there might be some CG enhancement later. Uh, such as happened with the Silver Surfer when I did the Fantastic Four sequel. Um, playing the Silver Surfer, I uh, I was in a makeup and costume every day that looked like the Silver Surfer. I was H.O.T. hot. Can I tell you that? Yeah, and I was very impressed that you were able to dip your voice down to sound like Lawrence Fishburne. Wasn't that great of me? It was. Actually, I wish you could have heard. I, I did a, I dipped my voice down to affect a, a Silver Surfer voice of my, my own that everybody told me was fantastic, including... Directors, producers, and my castmates. Uh, Jessica Alba loved my voice. Really? (laughs) Tell me again, slowly. (laughs) What's that? Tell me again, slowly. Slowly, I know. (laughs) Jessica Alba really liked my low voice. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, of course, uh, as when as marketing a multi-million-dollar comic book franchise film like that. these studio execs were, you know, doing what 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 marketing people do, which was to try to sell the film. And if if getting Lauren, you know, Morpheus <laughs> to, to voice uh, uh, the Silver Surfer, well, then you know, then you get Lawrence Fishburne. Fair enough. How did you meet up with Guillermo del Toro? Because you're now, I think, you're one of the the regular del Toro players. You know, if there is such a thing as a regular del Toro player, I I would be very honored to be included. In. I, I think, and I, I feel like I have been. Yes, um, he's. He's a very loyal type dog that way. He'll, I mean, if he finds people that he likes and trusts and works with well, uh, he'll keep you in his, in his pool of, of uh, to be used again, you know. Mm-hmm. I met him on Mimic back in 1997 um, when we were filming. I was called in at the last minute uh, when they were doing reshoots in L.A. They filmed it up in Toronto. The problem was that when they were doing reshoots in L.A. for three days, they... The guy who played the Long John bug-like creature mm-hmm. up there in Toronto was also a tall, skinny guy, but he could not work in the States legally. So they had to come looking for someone that could, that could you know, pull on the bug man sort of slash costume. I was in every every creature effects shop's Rolodex, uh, you know, so let's call Doug Jones. I got a, I got a phone call at the last minute before night shoot. And uh, so that started a three-day uh, filming for me on Mimic. And uh, Guillermo del Toro, that was his first uh, time directing a large-budget studio film in the United States. He had filmed a lot of things um, independently in Mexico before that, including a movie called Kronos, which mm-hmm. was, uh, had lots of um, 
artistic uh, acclaim and, and lots of critical appeal. Really like Kronos. So, uh, so meeting him, I, I did not know. I wasn't aware of who he was when I met him. But here was this roly-poly, jolly, hysterically funny eight-year-old boy in a big, <laughs> in a big man's uh, costume. You know, that's what it felt like. And at lunchtime on the second day, he sat there with his chin in his hand, and he said, so tell me all the movies you've been in. And he wanted to hear all about, you know, and, and I'm, I'm wearing half of a bug costume while I'm eating, and, I, and I'm like, what? so he wanted to, to know all, all, all the creatures I played. He loves monsters. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it, was, it was like talking to a nine-year-old boy. <laughs> so I told him, you know, I've been in this movie and that movie, and he's like, oh, what makeup artist have you worked with? So I told him all about Stan Winston, Rick Baker, uh, Tony Gardner, Michael Lizaldi. I, I went on doing all these all these names of people that have been, you know, Oscar winners. Greg Canham included. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Oh, I love his work. Who else?" <laughs> so he was just kind of excited and bright-eyed. And and I, I thought maybe he wasn't really the director of the film. Maybe a fanboy <laughs> snuck in and took his place for a minute. <laughs> like security. <laughs> But that's what was so endearing and lovable about him is that he is a fanboy first, and you know, and so he directs and, and writes films that appeal to his fanboy senses. That's why that's why he is a fanboy favorite. Of of the work you've done with him, uh, of course, with Pan's Labyrinth and the two Hellboy films and Mimic, uh, which was the most difficult to work on? None of them are easy, but he's, you know, I think the motto with him is it doesn't look good until it hurts Dougie. <laughs> it's on your business card, isn't I it? I think that's his, that's uh, that's what I, I I believe it's true. Well, I think for intellectually, uh, it was very difficult for me to pull off the fawn character in Pan's Labyrinth because I was in a five-hour makeup and costume to get ready, um, clumping around on hoof feet. I couldn't sit I couldn't sit back and recline all day because I had a tail sticking out of my uh, uh, butt and I had uh, ram horns on my head that would, that didn't allow me to rest my head anywhere. That was tough, and, and adding to that the Spanish dialogue, I I had to deliver paragraphs of of important dialogue that was all the exposition of the film um, in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish, Matt. Really? <laughs> no, but I did in that movie because I had I just memorized the dialogue. So that was a memorization nightmare. I, by the way, I'm doing that again on this French movie. I'm memorizing all this dialogue in French here. Not Spanish. Dub over me later because my accent is completely wrong. <laughs> So when you get your awards, you obviously thank your makeup people and your chiropractor and your yoga instructor. <laughs> yes, and God for keeping me alive one more day during every shoot. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I, I think when it comes to difficulty and, and, I, and pulling through, um, it was the Hellboy 2 shoot that was the one that almost killed me, I think. It, that was six and a half months we were there in Budapest, uh, and it was a six-day work week about 18 hours a day, and I had very few days off. Um, in the one, out of the 128-day filming schedule, I worked 108 of those days. Um, so that meant four hours of sleep a night and uh, falling asleep in makeup chairs constantly, and um, my skin, after being glued and cleaned up and glued and cleaned up and glued and cleaned up day after day, I, I, it really took a toll on me. And, and emotionally, too, it's a lot to, to bear through, but but once I saw Hellboy 2, it became one of those movies that was, you know, a career marker for me. You know, the role of Abe Sapien was so wonderfully written and, and expanded this time. And in addition to that, I got to play uh, the Angel of Death and the Chamberlain, these other two characters that, that are just, uh, the Angel of Death especially, delicious. And nice singing, by the way. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And you know what? 
The first time I heard Can't Smile Without You by Barry Manilow, whom I love and adore, and you do too, Matt, and don't lie and tell me you don't. <laughs> Everybody loves Barry. Stop it. Just shut up and accept it. <laughs> so, Barry Manilow, Can't Smile Without You. When I was a senior in high school, that was on the radio in my kitchen at home, and I was like, yes! I would sing that song out loud and wonder why, you know, so... You know, girl X of the day didn't want to spend time with me, <laughs> right? So it was brought that kind of high school puppy love experience full circle. Uh, there I am singing with Hellboy as we lament the loves in our lives and pop open a Tecate beer for the first time. The day after the Oscars, did you have a dartboard of Brad Pitt? Oh, no, of course not. I, there's love for Brad Pitt. You all love, love each that. other. There's all kinds of love. No, and the makeup artist, uh, uh, Greg Canham, who made up Kate, uh, Kate Blanchett and, and Brad Pitt and, and took the Oscar home for that. He's a, he's a friend of mine. He's, he's, I worked with him on um, on Hannibal and also a movie called, wait a minute, wait a minute, oh, with Kim Basinger. Oh, I played a demon. Okay, uh, what's uh, it? Uh, bless the Child. Bless the Child. Ooh. Thank you. Woohoo! Wow, that's why I'm here, there folks, among other things. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what did you work with Rick Baker on? Good I'm sorry? I'm sorry. What did you work with Rick Baker on? Uh, Rick Baker, uh, Men in Black Part Two, Electric Boogaloo. That's right, and uh, and then I did some test projects for him that, that didn't never made it to film before that. Uh, he, you know, he's he's one of those icons that, that we you know, in in that creature effects makeup business, everybody knows everybody. So when you see him walk in the room with his ponytail and those two shocks of uh, of white hair, it's you can't miss him. And and look at looking at your resume. It's you have a lot of cult films. I mean, which are of various degrees. First off, I love Pencilhead. No, oh, thank God. Mystery Men was a fun movie. Yeah, I, yeah. And, and uh, that was one of those little cameos. I I, I love doing cameos. You, you you commit two two or three days of your life and you're done. You got that. I actually was one of nine people that saw Tank Girl in the theater as well as Monkey Bone. Oh. Oh, you! Oh, yo! These are your. Listen, I I had so much fun with these. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm taking them up. And, and uh, okay, how mysterious was M Night working on Lady in the Water? No. Yeah, Lady in the Water. Um, I was one of the Tartutic characters, um, which are those those uh, monkey-like treat uh, creatures that came out of the trees. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we were the we were the one t- we were the one being that could uh, overtake the wolf made out of grass. It was very nature-like a show. Mm-hmm. Huh? M. Night Shyamalan. It's funny. He's very iconic and very, he's huge, and he's you know celebrated and decorated as a as a director. Um, he was to talk to him. Uh, he was just like like somebody you would be really good friends with in college. You know, um, I liked him a lot. I did like him a lot, and uh, and he was actually you know he has a reputation for being you know for being full of himself but I found him to be very humble and very uh very easy to work with he, and he was he was very collaborative with with us but again you know you've got guys in in, in rubber suits that look like apes and like and they're made out of tree bark um you, you know if we had a suggestion he was going to listen to us wasn't he sure now, did you ever see the documentary operation filmmaker I asked this because I was, I was channel surfing and doom came on no, I'm in it. I heard I'm in that. Yes, uh, this kid didn't. Right? Add, this kid didn't try to fleece you for money. I hope. No, he did not. No. Okay. 
<laughs> if, 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 for, if for those who are listening, there's a documentary called Operation Filmmaker. It's about a, a young young lad who winds up working on a couple of films, including Doom. And well, he's a loathsome character. At least that's what the documentary presents him as. So, so there you yeah, go. He, now he was from either Iran or Iraq, right? Right, and he got picked up because he did the Middle Eastern version of MTV, which should be fascinating. And uh, right. and worked on everything as illuminated, and then later lost his visa and lent money and got money and worked on Doom and The Rock was gonna I'm sorry Mr. Johnson was gonna pay him for his film school and as as the documentary yeah, right. went, as the documentary went on you just wanted to smash a guy in the face with a mallet. I've never seen the whole thing. So you've seen the whole thing? Oh yes, yeah. We had it at the film festival here in town last year. Was that the Heartland Film Festival? No, that was the uh, International Film Festival. The inter- oh, there's an okay. Oh, Indi- awesome. Indianapolis well, maybe uh, maybe my name is Jerry can play there since it's an Indiana local film, even right? Now, yeah, it's possible. And uh, was it you recently told me you were working on Super Capers? Well, yes. Um, uh, in fact, this is the weekend to talk about it because um, <laughs> Super Capers. It's a superhero spoof movie. It's a comic book film spoof, and in it, I play a uh, knockoff of Agent Smith from The Matrix. And uh, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in three pivotal scenes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and it's going to be, uh, ha- it has a, a selected city limited release this, this weekend uh, starting Friday, March 20th. Indianapolis is one of the, one of the chosen cities to, to give it this test run in. And if it does well uh, this weekend, it will, um, it will then open nationwide uh, in a broader release. But uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's all over Indianapolis. It's uh, it's playing like in uh, the uh, Clearwater Crossing, uh, Glendale Mall, uh, you know, Carmel, Noblesville. Uh, but you know, there's there's a website. If, well, if you go to the DougJonesExperience.com, which is my website, that's your band, you isn't say, it? You have to say it in a low, advertising voice like that. The DougJonesExperience.com. It's your trio. Yeah, <laughs> if you go, <laughs> if you go there. Um, uh, there, there'll be information up, uh, the, uh, clickable to take you to the the official website for Super Capers. That'll have all the theaters listed. Now, in your spare time, have you done the the conve- sci-fi conventions and and hung out I with have. that lot? And and how's that work I out? I love. I you know it's funny because people ask me all the time if if the if the sci-fi con- and comic book conventions are scary, and they're not. Uh, actually, they're full of uh, they're full of eccentric, colorful people, mind you. Yes. But these are this is a whole phenomenon uh, that I didn't know much about until a couple years ago, and I have a, an appearance manager now who specializes in these conventions. So um, I've, I've done the whole circuit now. Um, it's it's basically, it's a great place to publicly and safely meet uh, fans, uh, people who have been buying tickets to go see movies I'm in over the years, buying the DVDs, renting things. Uh, tuning in when I'm on television, and when they come up to my table to to look at the eight by tens I have there, or to sign, have me sign something, or they bring in their DVDs or posters from home or whatever, um, it's, a, it's just a great time to connect and and uh, and get loved on. And I don't, know, I don't know who wouldn't like that, you know. I'm sorry, loved on what? Loved on, <laughs> Matt. Yes, you would be surprised. Well, see, I have a reputation for being something of a hugger. And uh, this gets this gets out there, and so I have many many requests for hugs at my <laughs> when people come up to me at the conventions, and it's great, it's mm-hmm. great, Matt. Stop making fun of me. I'm not making fun of you, but were, were you <laughs> were you jealous of Billy Crudup's size in Watchmen? I 
haven't seen Watchmen yet. I, there's a nickname for the film, but I can't tell you on radio, so I'll, I'll save it. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> it, that sounds naughty. It, it could be. Now, is it true? Wrapping rap, things up, is it true you've challenged Bill Irwin and Andy Serkis to you know handball matches? <laughs> First of all, I don't even know how to play handball, <laughs> and second of all, I wouldn't challenge Bill Irwin or Andy Serkis to anything. I think they're both geniuses and fantastically wonderful. Um, it looks like, and hopefully, I'll get to work with and meet Andy Serkis. Hopefully, 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 keep your fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, unofficially, the word is out there that you know that Guillermo del Toro, of course, I mean, he is officially uh, directing the Hobbit movies, right? And uh, but the unofficial part is my involvement. Um, you know, he has said publicly into, into the press that he's got something for me in the film, but he won't commit to what that is yet out loud. So, and more to me. So I don't have a clue uh, what I'm doing or how many characters are when or if or any, any of that. So, But Andy Serkis and I both get inter- interviewed and asked about each other all the time, so um, I cannot wait to meet him. And I, I, think, he's, uh, uh, well, I think we're going to be picking each other's brains apart when we do. Well, if you do, In tell In a good way. That, that sounded very cannibalistic. Well, you did do Hannibal. I did. I did. <laughs> well, if you, if you meet Andy, tell him any person that holds Naomi Watts in the palm of his hand, it's all right by me. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'll see, and, and I'll and I'll tell him to tune in to uh, you know uh, WFYI. I'll, I'll tell him that for sure. <laughs> Doug, we really appreciate the time. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, Super Capers this weekend, woohoo! Actor and Ball State graduate, the Ball State University, Doug Jones. He stars as the Bye Bye Man, which opens in theaters nationwide this weekend. All right, as we dip into the archives, once again, this is Film Sociology. I'm your host, Matthew Sosi. Yeah, Top Chef is in Charleston, South Carolina. You can see it as Top Chef many times on Bravo. New episodes air on Thursday night. Yeah, here's my chat with Padma. Enjoy. I know I did. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Padma. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're hanging here in Indianapolis. I'm good. I'm good. We're just um, we're sitting here drinking up some coffee. <laughs> <We're kind laughs> of very happy. Jittery people. Well, <laughs> that's good to know. When it, when it comes to summer, what it, what is the first uh, dish that you think of? Well, you know, I think there's nothing so classic in summer as ice cream. And I'm going to show you how to dress up ice cream and make it into a fabulous dessert and give your guests a coffee all rolled into one. And the recipe is so easy, but if you don't write it down, it's on Nespresso.com. Basically, Nespresso makes these great espresso machines. Their coffee machines are renowned all over the world. And um, they basically have a pixie machine, which is the one I love. It comes in a lot of colors. You pop the little capsule of coffee in. It's the best possible coffee. You make the espresso. You just take a beautiful, simple scoop of vanilla ice cream, put it in a coffee cup, pour the espresso hot over it, sprinkle some chocolate chips, and drizzle some caramel sauce. That is it. You could add nuts. You could add cinnamon. You know, you could add peanut butter chips. But that's the basic recipe. And again, if your viewers are, you know, sorry, if your listeners are driving or whatever, it's on the website. Go to Nespresso.com. Sounds like a good movie treat as well. It's awesome, honestly. It, you know, they have this beautiful um, milk machine called the Arachino, and it's basically you just plug it in, and it steams up the milk and gives you that foam, just like those high-end uh, co- you know, coffee bars all across Italy and Switzerland and France. It foams everything up. It steams the milk in one second. It's beautiful. Actually, probably about 30 seconds. But 
It's so easy to do. Well, can you tell us a little bit of uh, what's in store for season 10 of Top Chef? Well, we haven't filmed it yet, so there's not much I can tell you. We're in pre-production right now. I think we're just all racking our brains and figuring out how we're going to top Texas from last last season. I mean, we had such an incredible, incredible season, and, and we're just gearing to shoot. It'll probably be on the fall, and I think we're trying to shake it up again. I think you'll see a lot of surprises. I mean, you know, Charlize Theron and Patti LaBelle were on last season, so who knows who they'll come up with this season. Padma, we can top Texas, Indianapolis. <laughs> it sounds good to me. <laughs> so I was curious, um, when you see somebody cooking in a movie, do you pay extra special attention to see if they're actually doing it right? You know, that's a great question. I do, actually. I'm a big freak about continuity um, because, you know, I come from theater and I've done a couple of movies, and so... I can always tell when there's not continuity or when someone's phoning it in. And, like, you know that scene um, in Jerry Maguire where Renee Zellweger answers the door? Watch it. When they cut to his view, her um, necklace is tied differently. Ah, yes. <laughs> so, who can, movie-wise, who can cook? You know what? Stanley Tucci can cook his face off. That is not, <laughs> he is not playing. Everything in Big Night is very authentic. Great so film. So can Martin Scorsese. His first student film was a film about his mom's spaghetti sauce. Uh, he gave me a copy of it. It's brilliant. And didn't she do all the cooking in that one kitchen scene in Goodfellas? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's an incredible scene. So anytime uh, we're going to see you in a movie anytime soon? I have a couple offers, but my problem is my scheduling. You know, mm -hmm. you have to really do one thing and do it well. I, would, I haven't been in a movie since I started Top Chef five years ago. My last film was for the BBC. I would love to do another film. It just has to be the right one and, and work with the schedule, which is not always easy. I'm just thankful for my job on Top Chef at this point. Of course. Padma, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care, Matthew. All right, you too. Yes, my interview with Padma Lachmi. Uh, of course, Top Chef is on Bravo on Thursday nights, all over HGTV. Of course, the Property Brothers. Yeah, dip into this into this archive once again. Here is my chat with Property Brother Jonathan Scott. Hey, Matthew, how you doing? All right, how are you? Not too bad. Good, good. I, 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 this is a film show here in Indianapolis. Uh, the, uh, it's called Film Sociology on WFYI in Indianapolis. And the first thing everybody inside my building is asking, why am I talking to you? Or actually, why are you talking to me, I guess? I heard that you're the guy that everyone wants to hang out with in Indianapolis. Oh, you're that, a better. Isn't that enough? You're a better actor than you already are. <laughs> no, you have. I know you have a. It's. I believe it's the King of the Castle Home Upgrade. Yeah, it's the Dove Men Plus Care <laughs> Hair King of the Castle Home Upgrade. Basically, it's a chance for me to go into one real man's house and totally upgrade and do what I would want to do. Some fun. We've got fun prizes that we're giving away uh, and things like that. So it's going to be. Not just an opportunity for me to go and, and hang out with somebody at their home and consult on what we want to do, but we're going to deliver these incredible prizes, too. You mean you're going to get rid of the, uh, the, the uh, beer posters from 1983 off the walls? Well, you know, it depends. It depends what it is. Uh, I went into my brother's place one time, my older brother, and he had the Kramer up on the wall. And, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't take it down. It had too many fond memories for me. There, there are certain wall, wall art that, I guess, uh, develops character. It does. It does. <laughs> so, uh, so how can how can uh, guys? And by the way, the, the ladies outside the window of the recording studio are waving at you. So let that be known. 
Tell them that I'm waving back. <laughs> oh, I will. Um, so, so how can how can guys uh, enter and get interested, and how can they get in touch with you about this? Uh, the easiest way is to go to the dovemencare.com slash kingofthecastle, and that's got all the details on it or through social media as well. Um, but the, uh, the best thing is, you know, people want to get in right away so they have the opportunity to, to get the application in. We're going to pick one real man across the country, and we're going to basically go in. We'll either do a real King of the Castle upgrade and put a moat into his home with a functioning <laughs> drawbridge, uh, or maybe we'll build the ultimate tree fort in the backyard so the kids have a strong place to play. <laughs> Uh, or it might even be something as well. We have we have authentic-looking British royal guards that will guard the house for a week and do a changing of the guard ceremony twice daily, things like that. So there's bizarre prizes, but all this stuff, it's going to be fun. And, and, you know, we have things, too, like a, a home automation and home security system, as well as an outdoor kitchen and dining room area. So they have tons of prizes to choose from, but it's going to be an incredible experience. I, I'm curious, what home improvement shops have beef eater guards? <laughs> Uh, only the ones that I deal with. Let me tell you. <laughs> and do they have uh, do they have the bottles with their images on them as well? Well, it, basically, th- this is what I'm thinking. I think if somebody comes in and they choose that prize, that first of all, it I think it's something that's going to be great for somebody to brag. You know, if you think about it, you know, a guy says to a girl, "Yeah, you know, come on, come on over. You know, I've got this great place. Check it out." And she walks up, and all of a sudden, there's British royal guards there. She's going to think he's a king. <laughs> so there's something going. I think it's impressive. But if you're thinking longevity and the value of the home, then you know going with one of the other upgrades that we have that's hard value to the house, I think, is an amazing idea. Now, is there are there themes like you know King of Thrones or Elsinore from Hamlet or Xanadu and Citizen Kane or even the Castle Anthrax from Holy Grail? Now, where were you when we were doing the creative process here? These are the <laughs> ideas that I need. And if I'm only relying on Drew to help me come up with ideas, I mean, we're going to fall flat. So oh. I, I need you. I need you in my camp. Brother Dig, minutes into the chat. That's great. <laughs> so uh, I guess what other home improvement tips can one give you, especially if you're, if you're in the Midwest in the fall? Are there, are there simple things about having to call in the troops that uh, folks can do around the house to make things better for the fall? Yeah, there's a lot of maintenance that we say. You always want to do your maintenance in the fall just before you get into the winter and then in the spring again before you have the warm weather come around and all, you know, uh, depending on where you are, if there's snow melt off and stuff like that. But the biggest thing for going in the winter is, one, you want to make sure that your furnace is functioning the most efficiently that it can. So simply just changing out filters. Um, you also want to make sure that you've got adequate insulation. Um, so usually say if you haven't blown in extra insulation into the attic, that's something that's very easy to, to have a company come in and do, or you can do it yourself too. Um, and then walking around and just checking the entire house for any leaks around windows, air leaks around doors, making sure all the seals are good. Um, that's the first thing that you can do. Something else that people don't realize that helps with the bills a little bit, um, you know, everyone uses their fans, their ceiling fans in the summertime. They like that cool air blowing down on them. But your ceiling fans, especially if you have tall ceilings, 10-foot ceilings or 12-foot ceilings, if you reverse them in the wintertime, they actually recirculate that hot air that's rising. They recirculate it back down to the lower areas. So you'll find that your heating bill is lower if you use your ceiling fan in reverse. But the toilet swirling, that's a different story. Yeah, if you, got, if you want your toilet to swirl the other way, you've got to go to Australia. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what, what is next for you uh, television-wise? Right now, I, first of all, I don't know what you expect of me. I already have three shows that we're doing full time. <laughs> but uh, slowly we're taking over the airwaves. We have some other exciting projects coming up in the new year. You're going to get to see inside my house for the first time. You'll see what I actually am doing. I'm doing a massive project on my house in Vegas. 
and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. My favorite spaces to do are outdoor living spaces, mm-hmm. which is why with the Dove Men Plus Care one, uh, contest, I'm doing uh, the treehouse out back because I love doing outdoor spaces. It's a great way to entertain, a great way for the family to have a space so they don't have to always go out to a theme park or something. But you're going to see some pretty wild stuff there. Um, and then a lot of other projects. You know, we're doing projects with you know, companies like Funny or Die, and we're doing all these other um, digital uh, vignettes online. So you know, people can see those on HGTV.com and on our website, okay. com. Some of the ladies are already asking, why isn't your house like Game of Thrones? So I'm not going to uh, – we'll just leave it at that. So. <laughs> now I have. To t- I'll admit, my it, my house when it's done, it's going to be so much fun. We have everything from an infinity pool with a swim up bar, a water slide going around a cluster of palm trees from the second story uh, of the house, and a drive-in sized movie screen that comes up on hydraulics. So oh. if you guys are ever in Vegas, I expect <laughs> that the whole station there, you're going to come in and you're going to visit. Oh, those are fatal last words, my friend. Um, <laughs> and so, actually, by the way, in, in my house, this HDTV is a station my wife has on all the time when she's working. So I think you're spending a lot of time with the missus, and I need to talk to you about that. You know, she sounds like a very smart lady with impeccable taste. <laughs> She, I call her sitcom wife, but then again, she makes fun of me when Candace and Genevieve are on, and I come screaming through the walls. So, <laughs> well, this is the funny thing I laugh is when people say to me, and we'll come up, we'll do live lectures, and you know, the wife will come up, and the husband's right there, and she'll just say, "There's only one thing I want to fall asleep to in bed, and that's you." <laughs> And I feel really awkward and uncomfortable. <laughs> and the husband's like, it's true. It's true. I shouldn't have put the TV in the bedroom. Uh, this is a public station. We're not going to go there. Um, let's see. <laughs> so movie-wise, I guess, have you, have you watched any movies lately? Do you get a chance to with uh, three shows and all the stuff you got going on? I do. Um, I, I haven't seen as many movies lately as what I usually do. But I don't watch TV, really. So I, the only thing I like to do is sort of go and escape and, and do film and you know, I own a, a film production company as well. And yeah, I would say, what's what's the word on that? Yeah, we actually are gearing up uh, for our first big feature film. We've done a lot of independent projects. I uh, did a lot of short films when we were younger. Um, but our first full-length feature uh, we're aiming to shoot next year, and that'll be a romantic comedy, a lot of fun. But I did um, I did see recently, uh, is it Captain Phillips? Yes. I saw that. I, I thought it was fantastic. Tom Hanks is one of my favorite actors, and, and the way he portrays it, just did a really great job. Uh, it's intense. It gets pretty intense. Yes, it does. But, um, boy, if you were rattled off some films, you know, I saw I saw some that were a little bit more controversial. I saw Don John. I, um, you know what? I, as long as you can get past the uncomfortable subject matter, I thought it was really well done. It I is, thought it was hilarious. It is a standard romantic comedy. It just happens to have a lot of online porn, that's all. <laughs> yeah, isn't that... Isn't that the sign of a true romantic comedy, though? I don't know. Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, of course, some people will say if, you, if you're dating Scarlett Johansson and you're still going online, you're an idiot. But that's, that's not <laughs> yeah. for me to say. Um, how much of the money pit is accurate, I guess, from your standpoint? Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, you, interesting you say that because I have come across some projects where it almost becomes comical how many problems we come across. And any time it's a property like that, it, usually, it was usually a previous owner was intentionally hiding the problems um, to pull the wool over your eyes, and I hate that. I think it's, you know, it's just a terrible thing to do. So I always say if you come across a problem with your home, you fix it. You don't pass the buck on to somebody else. This is your home. This is your asset. You're responsible for it. Whenever we're doing a construction job, we always have a contingency in place to cover the what-ifs, and anytime you're doing a massive renovation, it is guaranteed you will come across something 
that you didn't plan because you couldn't see inside the walls or something was hidden. So that's what I always recommend. Do a contingency. I never do a contingency of less than 10%. Um, if it's a known area with problems or if it's an area that you know, maybe definitely has asbestos or a knob and tube or something like that, or if it's an older home, then we bump that up. You know, I've done contingencies as big as 25% if it was an area where we knew there were definitely foundation problems and definitely plumbing issues. So it, you just have to plan ahead and be careful and never ever operate best case scenario when you're doing real estate investment or when you're looking to renovate. You want to operate under worst case scenario and then anything that's better than that is just equity in your pocket. Okay, last question. You're, what's the better twin film, Parent Trap or Dead Ringers? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd probably go with Parent Trap. I'd probably go with that. Or Twins, if oh. you want to go with the whole Danny DeVito-Arnie combo. You know, that was comical. Silent Green is people! Zardoz has spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan.